0: Father, we gather this morning to celebrate you sending your son to walk among us. In our most lucid moments, we realize what an incredible miracle that is. So this morning, we stop for a moment to contemplate the awe of Christmas. God's son became a human. The one who existed from eternity has taken on the mundane garb of a human body. Who could have thought this possible? We stop for a moment to contemplate what it means about you, that you sent your own son to us. What does this mean about your love for us? Is it, is it really boundless? Does it really have no limit? We stop for a moment to contemplate what it means for us now that we have seen your son. What an incredible thing to know that we can know who you truly are through your son. What an encouragement to see life lived to the full. What liberation to know that our biggest enemies are defeated. What expectation and anticipation to know that the future is glorious and beautiful. God, thank you for sending your son to change the course of history. We worship you this morning for your grace and your love poured out beyond what we could have imagined you shined your light into the dark world so we know that all is well as we prepare for the first advent of jesus the birth of the messiah at christmas we look around and see that there's more work to be done here violence and pain and injustice continue to testify to a world that continues to reject the true king and we look at ourselves and our own resources and we confess that we are comically incompetent to fix the world our only hope is for you to keep your promises and so we pray this morning our best prayer of hope come lord jesus amen it is a good morning to gather with god's people to uh, worship we uh, we're glad to have a number of uh visitors this morning especially uh uh people from out of town coming back to visit family, we, we welcome you, and we thank you for leaving these first four rows empty. That's, that's kind of an unwritten rule here at our church. We, we don't sit in these seats, so thank you for those of you who are visitors for keeping that. I don't know if someone told you that or whatever, but we thank you for doing that. Please pray with me. God of grace, God of love, move our hearts and minds to a renewed sense of wonder this morning at the beautiful miracle that your Son walked the earth. Warm up the coldness of our hearts. Shine your light into the darkness of our minds. Remove the double blinders of sin and ignorance from our eyes and bring us to true knowledge of you. Send your Spirit to help us. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. This past Wednesday, I was talking to a friend uh, on my hockey team before our game started, and you know it was December 19th, and so December 21st was coming, and of course there's all this Mayan calendar stuff and end of the year or end of the world stuff uh, going on in, in kind of the, the broader culture. And so he he asked me, and this is you know five ten minutes before we started skating, so do you really think the world is going to end someday? I thought, okay, well, five minutes before a hockey game, this is the perfect time to have a deep theological discussion and, and talk about the great hope of the Christian faith. So, okay, sure, let's talk about this. Uh, so I preached this sermon to him that I'm about to preach. <laughs> you know, I, I said, yeah, I mean, I, I do believe that the world is going to end. And, and I was, as I was reflecting on that, I didn't, I didn't give him a whole lot, but as I was reflecting on it, I thought, well, what is, what is so important about that? What is so central to that belief in something in the future happening, in... in the world ending at some point or the world being renewed what is so important about what we as christians believe about the end what's so important about that well in the past four weeks we've been uh, going through reasons for incarnation reasons for the for Christmas, or so our series has been, why did the Son of God become human? And so we've, as we've done, uh, explored those answers here. We, we've seen really the the major movements of the Christian faith. So so starting with with who God is, God Himself seen in His Son Jesus Christ. That's why the Son of God came to reveal God truly. And then we see something about us. We we see what true human existence looks like because of Jesus. Jesus lived the first truly human life, life to the full, finally. And then last week, we saw that the Son of God came to defeat our biggest enemies, sin and death defeated, because Jesus came. And now this morning, we cast our glimpse to the future. We go from all that, from who God is, from who we are, what it means for us to live, to our biggest problems, our biggest enemies. And now we look at, what does it really mean? What does the future look like for us? What is the, the hope of the Christian faith? So we're going to ask uh, two questions about the future. First, what does hope for the future look like for Christians? What does the Bible say about the future, the end for us? Uh, We're in Revelation 21 this morning. That's where we're starting. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, I don't have a page number, but if you go to the very end, I guess end, and then flip back a couple pages, you'll find 21. It's the second to last chapter in the whole Bible. So Revelation 21. It's one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. I want you to listen to the, the image that's being painted here. Revelation 21. This is uh, John seeing revelation of the future. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life those who are victorious will inherit all this and i will be their god and they will be my children but the cowardly the unbelieving the vile the murderers the sexually immoral those who practice magic arts the idolaters and all liars they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur this is the second death Revelation 21 teaches us why it is so important for us to believe and hope for the future. This is what we are looking forward to. Hope for the future looks like this. It's, it's God making the world new. It's an incredible picture. I just want to draw out a couple little themes here. I, I, the danger here, I think, is, is you have this beautiful picture, and, and I think the danger is over-explaining it and kind of making it, I don't know, a little mundane in talking about all the different images. But I do encourage you to do that on your own. Think through all these images. But I just want to point out three quick things about Revelation 21. First, notice that everything wrong with the world as it stands today is removed. Everything wrong is removed. So look at verse 4 there. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Isn't that an incredible image? Everything wrong with the world, removed. No more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. That image is all the more powerful when we look at the world around us today. Because that's the incredible reversal. What we're living in right now is a world of suffering and pain. A world of great anguish. Tears all around, all the time. And yet here, finally every tear will be wiped away everything wrong with our current world will be removed and second i want us to see that we become who we were meant to be so verse two says the holy city the new jerusalem is coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband the new jerusalem the holy city this is god's people God's people shining as they were meant to be. God himself making us who we were meant to be with an incredible image of a, of a bride on her wedding day, beautifully dressed, prepared to meet her husband. And again, that's all the more powerful when we consider what God's people look like today and what, what God's people have always looked like. We've always been so imperfect and so flawed from, from Israel down to the church today. We're such a, a sad reflection of our Savior, our Lord. And yet here, finally, we look like what we were meant to look like. God making his own people beautiful, like a bride on her wedding day. So everything wrong with the world removed, and and us, God's people, as we were designed to be. And then, most importantly, God is present. God is there. Verse 3, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God himself residing with his people, present with his people. If that doesn't seem like a a big deal to us, we've got to understand that in the the storyline of the Bible, God's presence is the key thing, especially if if you look at the Old Testament and the story of Israel. When God is present, everything is right. When God is present, they have no fear of their enemies because God is protecting them. When God is present, they have no worry about provision because God abundantly provides for his people. So where God is present, everything is well. This is the picture of Revelation 21. Everything wrong with the world removed. God's people looking as they were designed to look beautiful. And God himself right there with them. God being their God us being his people. In short, God is making everything new. That, that ki- pivotal phrase in the middle of our passage here in verse 5, God, the one seated on the throne, says, I am making everything new. And that is what hope for the future looks like. That is the great hope. That is why it's so important as we think about the future for Christians. That's what's so important about our belief here. God is making everything new new there is genuine hope i love revelation 21 because it it paints this incredible picture where everything is made right god himself making everything right for his people what i want you to see this morning is that nothing else compares to this picture nothing in the world comes close to what revelation 21 is describing God making all things new is incomparably beautiful. It's a breathtaking image. I wanted to test that out. What what could possibly compare in our world or or anywhere else to to this kind of a picture from Revelation 21? So we we go to a beer commercial, right? Corona Beer has a, a series of commercials with the tagline, Find Your Beach and uh, in in one of them uh, these three friends are sitting here with an empty chair next to them and and they're in front of this beautiful iconic caribbean beach perfect just perfect relaxation and then as the the advertisement continues there's a whole crowd of people kind of rushing in front of them in business suits and and uh, one of their friends comes toward them and says sorry i couldn't get away and and you notice then the scene switches so it's actually a, a busy urban center and, and they're kind of sitting on a, a bistro table or whatever having a, a drink together and, and relaxing. And, and so you know the, the one friend hands her a drink and says, well, now you can get away, now you can. And, and she takes the, the drink and sits down and, and they're back to this beautiful idyllic scene, perfect relaxation, all is well. See, what, what they're trying to do is make you associate Corona with with kind of finding what what might be called your happy place, you know, the place where you can finally just stop and relax, be okay, everything is okay. But if you think about it, it's so shallow. I mean, drinking corona doesn't really transform a busy street in some city into this beautiful Caribbean beach. And even to the extent that sitting down to a drink with friends might provide some semblance of relaxation, it's so temporary. You're going to have to go to work the next day. You're going to have other concerns. You've got bills to pay. All these things are are still weighing on you. It's an unchanged world. And and even if even if we imagine that that drinking a Corona would actually transport us to a beach like this, actually happen, that it would actually happen. Even that would not be enough because again, it's temporary. And think about how unsubstantial and how shallow and how self-centered that kind of an image is anyway. What John is recording here in Revelation 21 is infinitely superior to this. It's not escapism. At best, what that corona ad is doing is promoting some sort of escapism. You know, you can get away from stress and all the worries of life for a little bit. But this isn't escapism. Revelation 20 wasn't escapism. It's actual transformation, the world made new by God. And, and it's not temporary either. I mean, the best that we can hope for now is some kind of temporary reprieve. But, but this is not that. This is the world forever changed, forever made new. Everything wrong, forever removed. God's people forever being beautiful as God designed us to be. And God himself being present forever. Nothing else compares to that. Nothing else compares that. There is nothing in the entire fake world of advertisement or anywhere else that can compare to this picture. God makes all things new, and the result is breathtaking, and it is beautiful. That is real, true, substantial hope for the future. That is what it looks like. But that demands a second question how is that hope for the future certain how do we know that's actually going to happen as we look at that the answer to that question we're going to turn earlier in the book of revelation so we're going to look at revelation five now so if you're in revelation twenty-one keep flipping back until you get to revelation five And as we read this passage there's a lot in the uh... the language here kind of imagery that's that's very foreign to us it's it's not a a genre that's that's similar to anything we would Kind of write or read today So I, I want you to be patient though And really listen for what's being said here Listen for the, the plot and the storyline Of what's happening So this is Revelation chapter 5 We'll read verses 1 through 14 This is again The image that John saw Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne A scroll With writing on both sides And sealed with seven seals Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation." You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, the living creatures, and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So what's going on here in Revelation 5? Here's the basic plot. There's there's one who's seated on the throne. That's God. And he has a scroll in his hand sealed with seven seals. The seals are just kind of little clay things that are keeping the scroll wrapped up. And John is weeping. The narrator is weeping because no one's able to open it. No one's worthy of opening it. But then he receives comfort. There is someone who is worthy. The the lamb, the lion, the root of David is worthy to open the scroll. And the result is that all of creation, all of heaven, all of earth erupts in praise for the lamb and for the one seated on the throne. So what on earth is the same. And we're going to understand what's going on here. We first have to understand the significance of the scroll. What is the scroll and what's the significance of opening it? Well, the scroll is God's plan for the future. The scroll is God's unfolding plan of judgment and salvation. The significance of of it being sealed and, and no one being worthy to open it is that if the scroll goes unopened, then God's plan for judgment and salvation will not go forward. So when they ask for anyone who's worthy to open the scroll, and when no one is found, John's weeping because that means that there is no hope anymore. Revelation 21 cannot happen if the scroll is not opened. And for someone who understands the the promises of God, like like John did, sweeping promises from from all across Scripture, from the beginning to the end, God's promise of blessing for his people, it looks like all of that is hanging in the balance right here. And at this crucial moment, it looks like it's not going to happen. All of those incredible promises of blessing, Revelation 21 and everything leading up to it, all of that looks like it's lost. If you were in John's position and you saw this and you understood what was happening, you would be crying too. What that means is there is no hope. If there's no one to open the scroll, then we are left here forever. We don't have something to look forward to, hope for the future. This is it. We're done. No hope. But the story turns as John is weeping over this situation and weeping that all of God's promises will be nothing. He's comforted. Someone says, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, look, the root of David has triumphed. These are images from, from the Old Testament, images of, of the coming Messiah, the, the Lion of Judah, the, the Root of David. Those are images that God gave his people back in the future to point toward a day when their Savior, their Messiah, would come. And now John sees that, yes, that Messiah has come. And he has accomplished what God sent him to accomplish. That one is now worthy to open the scroll. And of course... In the biblical storyline, that one, the Messiah, the root of David, the lion of Judah, is Jesus. So, as we take a step back and think about that whole question that we're answering these these four weeks, why did the Son of God become human? Well, Jesus came to guarantee God's future, Jesus came to set in motion God's good plan. He came to open the scroll, in in the words of Revelation 5. Because the Son of God became human, our future is secure. God chose to work his plan through a mediator. And what this passage is indicating is that no one else is able to do it. There is no one on the face of the earth, no one anywhere across all of history who is able to do this. No one. Except one Jesus himself. This lion of the tribe of Judah, this root of David, is worthy to open the scroll. Why is he worthy? What makes the difference for Jesus? Why is he worthy to open the scroll? Well, the praise of the people is is saying why he's worthy. You are worthy because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nations. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth forever. Jesus is worthy to open the seals of the scroll because he died and his death accomplished the salvation of God's people. He gathered together a people for God, holy to him. And because of that, he has put forward God's plan for judgment and salvation. Because of that, he's able to unfold that, to to break the seals of the scroll, and God's plan can go forward. Jesus came to guarantee God's good future. That means that Revelation 21, that beautiful promise, is possible. So what we learn here in Revelation 5 is that no one else is able to do this. No one but Jesus is able to carry forward God's plan for redemption, God's plan for the world made new. There is no one like Jesus. Restoration can only happen because of him. I came across an article in, uh, in BBC about a lady who took it upon herself to fix an old painting in her church. Uh, Spanish painter Elias Garcia Martinez had uh, painted this uh, fresco of Jesus in the uh, church of what 's the church called the Sanctuary of Mercy Church in Spain and The problem was, as you can see on the the, the right hand side here, the the picture had deteriorated significantly, moisture had caused you know f- paint to flake off and everything like that. Well, this woman in this church, uh, Cecilia Jimenez, was in her 80s, and she saw this, and she loved this painting. It was a source of pride for her. But it really bothered her that it was in such poor shape, and so she took it upon herself to to fix this. She was going to make this right. And so she lovingly got out her paints and set out to repair the painting. Restoration work had finally begun. But as it turns out, restoring a prized fresco is not as easy as you might think. I can't think of a better way to put this than the BBC did. BBC Europe correspondent Christian Fraser says the delicate brushstrokes of Elias Garcia Martinez have been buried under a haphazard splattering of paint. The once dignified portrait now resembles a crayon sketch of a very hairy monkey in an ill-fitting tunic. Yes. This is what happens when someone who is not worthy sets about to undertake a major renewal. The once dignified portrait resembles a crayon sketch of a very hairy monkey in an ill-fitting tunic. No one but Jesus can do this. No one but Jesus is worthy to carry forward God's plan to make all things new. No one else can do this. If you take away nothing else this morning, I do want you to understand two things. On the one hand, Revelation 21, there is nothing else that compares to the hope for the future that Christians have. There's nothing that compares to God's renewal of all things. And secondly, from Revelation 5, there is no one else other than Jesus who is able to make it happen. Nothing compares to God's good future, and no one's able to do it but Jesus. The Son of God became human to make all things new and so it will be the birth of jesus at christmas sets the stage for god's great work it is god's promise of an incredible beautiful breathtaking future sealed and guaranteed because he sent his son to make it happen with this picture before us nothing can shake us if this is your hope if this is what you know will happen in the future you will never be disappointed. No matter how ugly the world is, no matter how dark your current situation is, no matter how chaotic your surroundings are, there is hope waiting for you. So we aren't here as Christians to kind of ignore problems or to pretend that the problems are not there or even to kind of hole up in our shell and wait for Jesus to return and make all things better. Now we have heard what God has done and we have heard what he is going to do and that gives us the solid foundation to actually live our lives and to fulfill the mission that God has given us. It's important for us to understand that this future, Revelation 21 is not just automatic for everyone. Those who reject Jesus, who reject God's plan will be excluded from that beautiful future. Revelation 21.8, the last verse we read there, makes that very clear. Those who continue to rebel against God do not have that good future to look forward to. But that future is guaranteed for those who have been bought by the Son of God. Those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus, who are made this kingdom of priests, they are the ones who have this future hope. They are the ones who look forward to new creation, God making all things new. And that means for those of us who have experienced that, that we then take that out into the world. That is our message of hope. We have heard the message that light shines into darkness and darkness has not overcome it. So that now is our message to the world, to those who haven't heard it yet, those who are still in darkness, who don't have this secure hope based in Christ and looking forward to the future. Our message is to proclaim this hope with boldness and with assurance ourselves. Light has shined into darkness. Darkness has not overcome it. God is making all things new. The hope of Advent is this. God is making all things new. The joy of Advent is the prospect of living in God's new creation. The peace of Advent is knowing that there is holistic well-being in God's presence waiting for us in the world made new. The love of Advent is God's never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love that caused him to send his Son into the world to make all things new. Christmas is two days away. Jesus is coming, and we as God's people celebrate with joy-filled anticipation because we know that his coming guarantees a future that is breathtaking beyond what we could have imagined possible. Jesus is coming. All is well. Please pray with me. Yes, God, thank you for hope. And as we prayed earlier, we pray again. Come, Lord Jesus. You are our hope. You are our salvation. It is in your name we pray. Amen.